Hello and welcome to Tech Weekly, a podcast by City AM, designed to keep you up to date on the latest in the world of tech, crypto, fintech and beyond. I'm Nassim Silva with City AM reporters Lily Russell-Jones and Charlie Conchi. We have a bit of an extended episode today. Later I'll be talking to Charlie about Apple's purchase of UK open banking startup Credit Kudos, which as we'll discuss makes the Apple Card an ever more realistic prospect in the UK. But first, Lily will be talking FCA crypto regulation with Blair Halliday, head of UK at crypto exchange Gemini. Hello. So this week, the FCA closed its consultation on strengthening the rules for promotions of high risk assets in the UK, including crypto. The draft rules require firms to seek approval from the regulator for crypto adverts and include requirements such as highlighting the fact that digital assets are not regulated in the UK to ensure that ads are clear, fair and not misleading. The FCA also intends to classify crypto as a restricted mass market investment, meaning consumers would only be able to respond to crypto asset financial promotions if they are classed as high net worth or sophisticated investors. Today, I'm joined by Blair Halliday, the head of Gemini UK, one of the first crypto exchanges to be registered by the FCA under its anti-money laundering regime. Good morning, Blair. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Lily. Great to be here. Blair, this week you shared your response to the FCA's consultation on crypto assets. You said that the new rules could damage the crypto industry in the UK by encouraging firms to relocate offshore. What's behind your assessment and what is the regulator potentially getting wrong here? Yeah, look, uh, I think to, to kind of kick off, Gemini, as you very rightly say, um, was one of the very first firms to receive a crypto asset registration uh, from the um, from the FCA. And so we definitely value uh, and recognize the importance of, uh, of regulation. Um, one of the concerns uh, that we have, of course, in any regulation, it's, uh, it's at the end, you know, the actual intent matches what is there in black and white. Um, Certainly our concern with some of the proposals is, uh, although they, they are pitched and most certainly kind of intending to, to provide consumer protection, uh, as their kind of ultimate driver, um, the actual, uh, the, you know, then there may well be a flip side to that. Um, you know, so one of our concerns is that, um, you know, we're, we're at the position now where crypto is such a, it's such a broad market. There's such a broad kind of interest in crypto. Uh, an idea that, um, you know, the crypto firm, you know, you can just simply just stop people from accessing crypto. Uh, you know, it, it is not really, you know, that, that's just not the way it'll be. The fact of the matter is we need to kind of go through a process of education and enable people to really understand what crypto is about. This particular this particular legislation um, will kind of put certain requirements on UK um, uh, approved firms um, that will you know will potentially drive um, traffic uh, from the UK to firms that are located abroad that are not subject to the same legislation uh, and potentially put those customers at risk. The very ones uh, that the FCA are looking to uh, to protect. So ultimately, uh, whilst we're very supportive of any kind of uh, legislation uh, when it comes to crypto for the UK market. Um, we're, we're concerned that this particular, um, these particular pieces of legislation actually might have the, um, uh, the flip effect, which is to actually put some consumers uh, at risk. So are you saying this is a case of regulatory arbitrage? Because as far as I was aware, companies that wish to advertise financial products or services to clients in the UK would also have to follow the FCA's rules for promotions of financial services and products. 
regardless of whether or not they're actually registered here? Well, I think the, the thing to bear in mind is that that particular part of it, so if we're talking about the financial promotion side, um, that is open to anybody. Um, and so if you kind of put that into context, we're, we're, you know, what about a week away, several days away from the end of the UK's uh, or the, the FCA's temporary register. Um, so that all firms are either registered or they're, or, or, or they're not. So, um, but there, there will be no differentiation, uh, as things stand in the financial promotion side. I, uh, well, there's two parts to that. The first one is that a firm that is based outside of the UK that is, you know, that either has, uh, has attempted to get that registration or has made no attempt, uh, whatsoever, um, or in the first instance has attempted and failed. Um, they would be able to uh, advertise um, crypto activity into the UK market uh, in exactly the same way and format as a uh, as a UK registered firm. There'd be no differentiation. Is there a sense that because firms who are registered in the UK have to undergo quite a rigorous process of regulation to be kind of SCA approved? I think there are only around thirty three crypto asset firms on the SCA's register. And 80% of the firms that it has assessed to date have either been withdrawn or their applications have been rejected. So is there a sense that these new rules, because they don't differentiate between FCA registered firms and firms which are based abroad and perhaps haven't gone through the same rigorous process, that the rules are kind of all stick with no carrot? (laughs) Well, look, I I think there's there's a few bits to that. So I'll concern with the financial promotion side, you know, there's, a, there's a few bits to this. So the first one is that, um, you know, most certainly, uh, we think that the UK government and no doubt the FCA would rather, uh, would rather UK customers go to firms that are, uh, that are under their control or under their overview. I think, um, they understand those firms better. They understand the activities that they've already gone through, uh, an AML process. Uh, and they understand the controls there. Um, so that is obviously a key component to, um, to ensuring, you know, that, uh, the customers, are, um, are treated carefully and safely and protected. Um, I think one of the other, um, one of the other kind of aspects to all of this is about, um, you know, how a customer or rather how a firm goes about, uh, you know, getting their, um, getting their uh, advertising or their promotion out to market. So at the moment, um, there would only be particular types of firms that would be able to to do that, and every and any other crypto firm that hasn't got a FISMA type reg, uh, regulation or approval as part of their um, as part of their overall business uh, would have to seek a, uh, a an S twenty one approver uh, to 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 look at their um, their promotion and get that approved. One of the one of the challenges with all of that again is that there are firms that have other levels of of approval, like any money institution license or uh, or a financial uh, pardon me an um, an API um, approval as well, um, which which are not able to approve uh, are not going to be able to kind of act as a an S two any one approver, so they will not be able to approve their own uh, financial promotions. So again, we're going to have this, you know, the secondary market almost where firms are, are going to have to seek, uh, S21 approvers, uh, at external firms, uh, that will have little to no genuine understanding of crypto, uh, in all likelihood, um, but are going to be asked to, to approve these firms on, you know, on the, on the basis or the foundation of which they would approve other, uh, financial promotions without understanding nuance. 
We recognize there is a, you know, there is an importance of being fair and not misleading in financial promotions. And clearly, um, you know, a lot of this activity that the FCA and the Treasury are kind of are looking to insti- uh, instigate here is on the back of some uh, unfair and misleading activity that we've seen in the advertising space by some crypto firms or crypto actors. Um, and so we recognize the importance that um, that a firm like ourselves needs to to demonstrate that um, that we are kind of behaving in the right way, that our promotions are fair, uh, aren't misleading. Uh, but we should also be, uh, be able to issue those ourselves and we should be also accountable for that if we're not following the rules, if there is something um, uh, untoward. Yeah, because I think a lot of what the regulator is saying in terms of trying to make those adverts more clear, fair and ensure that they're not misleading by telling people that crypto assets aren't regulated in the UK and perhaps warning them that the price of these investments is likely to be variable. That that seems sensible from a consumer protection standpoint. Last year, I think at the end of the year, we saw adverts for a particular meme coin on the tube and they were everywhere during November and then its price spiked. So it reached an all-time high and then it's since lost 90% of its value. So surely there is kind of a case for regulating these adverts more effectively. A hundred percent. And and that is the and, and that it should be the ultimate principle, which is about being fair and not and not misleading. Um and also uh, making sure that you're uh, that you can back up your claims. Um, you know, to, to, to give some context, e-money institution firms are also subject um, to, uh, to financial promotions, uh, rules, uh, as well. And so have a very clear, clear understanding of what, uh, what is appropriate, what can be said and what can't be said. Um, so, you know, to put it very clearly, look, we're, we are supportive of the intent. Uh, we're supportive that financial promotions for the crypto market just can't endlessly just say whatever it wants to say and be, uh, you know, be aggressive calls to action. Um, with, you know, especially when in, they're not based in, in strong foundation. And what, you know, so we, we fully kind of echo and support that. What, what the issue is, we don't want to go from one extreme to the other where, um, where, you know, we have this kind of absolute floodgates open situation. And now we kind of flip to the other where, uh, it's very challenging for legitimate, you know, approved crypto firms such as ourselves, uh, or, or others to be fair. Um, to go through a process of, of, a, of a very kind of simple financial promotion um, without going ha- having to go through you know, significant hoops, which will involve external parties. Um, when actually, uh, I think the, the, the correct process would be to kind of look at those that have, that have got additional levels of, uh, of regulation as part of their, um, uh, as part of their kind of, uh, their offering, you know, e-money being one of those, uh, and enable those firms to, to issue those directly, but also, you know, as importantly, be accountable. Cause that's what this is all about. It's about, um, about providing some protection and it's also about getting accountability. On that. So. You mentioned in your submission to the FCA's consultation that FCA-approved crypto asset firms could be placed at a competitive disadvantage by the rules. So could you elaborate a little bit on that? And um, is Gemini one of the firms who would consider moving offshore if the rules come into effect? Yeah, look, I I think to be very clear, um, 
you know, Gemini has always been a regulatory first company. That's we've been, you know, we've been founded on that. Our foundational pillars, you know, three of those are fundamentally compliance or security based, um, you know, being compliance, security uh, and licensing. Um, we came to the UK um, not because it was in the first instance uh, of our uh, uh, you know, our efforts uh, outside of the US, not because it was the easiest market, market to get into, uh, because it was a, it was a strong and robust, uh, regulatory, uh, market. It was a thriving, um, crypto environment. We see ourselves going to, you know, environments that have, you know, really strong, well-known, uh, reputational, uh, strong reputation, um, uh, legislators and the FCA kind of definitely fits that bill. In terms of, you know, so, so that is, you know, that is our kind of view on all of that. And we're in the UK to stay. Our concern on all of this is that, um, you know, firms that have gone through the hoops like ourselves, um, that have, you know, you know have made sure that they comply with, uh, with all of the AML requirements and will comply, um, with the future bits of legislation when it comes to the financial promotions and, and whatever else, uh, further to come. Um, those firms will be kind of, you know, impaired. Uh, in relation to, to that in compared to others that are, that are deciding, you know what, um, we're just going to base ourselves elsewhere and kind of offer services in the UK and not have to deal with the same issues. And, and, and to be frank, over the last kind of few, few days, now that the deadline is coming up, we, I mean, I have seen emails come in, you know, stating that certain firms are going to be offering, uh, their services out of different entities. So it's not like this is something that might happen. It's something that is already happening. And will kind of continue to happen. And I think it's, and that's certainly the message that we've kind of given back in terms of our response to the consultation, uh, and also to, to our government agencies is about, um, you know, we all, you know, Gemini and other kind of firms of our ilk, you know, agree consumer protection is, is vital. Um, and a consumer is much better protected when they've been serviced by a UK based firm. Um, if, as soon as they go offshore, um, the UK has no, no jurisdiction no control no and there's no way to support them and what do you think is behind that because so the deadline for companies to make it off the temporary register and be regulated crypto asset firms in the uk is the 31st of march and we know that some really kind of big firms are on that temporary register including copper so is there a potential for these firms to have to stop trading at that break-off point and do you have a sense of why it's been such a slow process for them well, look, um, uh, my understanding uh, is that when a firm is, you know, they, they have a temporary permission um, and at which time they, they either get approved and then, the, you know, status, you know, status quo. And if they're not, then uh, my understanding is the FCA issued some guidance, you know, several weeks back that that, uh, that means that they should stop their activity. Um, through that you know, particular entity, especially if they, um, if the, if, if they're kind of caught within that, uh, the requirements of the, um, of the crypto asset registration, what activities are kind of caught under that, um, uh, that bit of, uh, legislation. So, you know, it's, it's, I think the FCA have been relatively clear on that, but it is going to be, it is going to be interesting to see how they, you know, what they do. Uh, after that date, whether they, they look to kind of actively enforce, whether they will actually take a view of a, a kind of a wind down period, I, I don't know. Um, I suspect it'll probably be the former, but, um, but we'll see. Um, you know, in terms of what the, you know, these firms will do, I, I mean, I guess, uh, or rather what, uh, what, why it's kind of taken so long. I guess this has taken, it has taken a long time, this 
this whole process has been, you know, a particularly long one. But uh, I, I guess it's a, there's an aspect of all of this about understanding what a regulator is looking for. And some firms that have gone into this process kind of earlier or later um, may not necessarily be as um, uh, as au fait with, uh, with what it takes to get a regulatory license. You know, from Gemini's perspective, you know, we've already received the um, uh, our, uh, our trust license in the US from the New York DFS before we came into the UK market. So we have the EMI license and we have the, um, the Cortosa registration. So we understand what it takes to get a, a regulator comfortable with uh, our activity and, and what we have to demonstrate and what we need to have. Um, you know, if people aren't familiar with that process, it can be kind of, it can be very daunting and it can take time. And, it, you know, in the whole process of a, a regulatory um, approval, it's very much, uh, you know, and people may not necessarily understand this, but there is a lot of questions after the event. You don't submit uh, and there you go, you know, all's well. It's very much a process of, you know, of getting regulators uh, comfortable and understanding of how your business operates because there's many different ways for a business to operate. There's many different nuances. So perhaps underestimating a little bit what what was involved there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then they've got a lot, yeah. you know, uh, and if you don't, uh, if you don't engage, you don't, um, you know, uh, if you don't provide the information kind of early and upfront, it's all about developing trust and understanding. Uh, it works both ways. Uh, and if you know, uh, and, and I'm not I'm not party or aware of exactly the situation with every firm, but clearly some firms have struggled to develop that trust and understanding. So coming back to the detail of these FCA rules and retail traders, the FCA has said that classifying crypto as restricted mass market investments means that consumers would only be able to respond to crypto asset financial promotions if they're classed as high net worth or sophisticated investors. Does this mean that retail investors would effectively be barred from investing in crypto assets under these rules? I think what it definitely means is that there is going to be a, uh, a challenge uh, to everyone to to understand uh, exactly who you know, who is enabled to access this and, and how you would demonstrate an individual sophistication. I think you know it's pretty clear here you know, from from my understanding in the crypto space that. You know, uh, being a, uh, a long-standing trader or a, um, a high net wealth individual does not automatically qualify you as particularly um, understanding of, of the way that crypto behaves uh, and, you know, in the nuance world of crypto. Whereas, you know, it's very like, you know, much more likely that um, a, a younger generation who have, you know, have far more kind of an understanding of, of crypto from the, from the ground up or from it's very much its inception. Um, could very much going to be argued uh, to be far more sophisticated and understanding of the nuance of crypto uh, you know, so, than some maybe uh, older generation uh, high net wealth. So I think the you know these are the things that certainly that we've kind of ref- we've gone back to the to the FCA on in terms of the consultation um, and given our kind of opinion on. I think um, yeah I, I think there's still some work to do and I, but ultimately this is this is part of the. The thing that we're definitely kind of calling out that um, you know that some people could interpret it in this in this format, and that that is concerning to us because you know younger people or people that are deemed you know, unsophisticated or not high net wealth, um, you know, will still want to to, to be active and uh, and involved in crypto, uh, and not being able to do so in the UK market will present you know a substantial risk to them, uh, and that's uh, we we're pretty certain that that's not the consequence that um, uh, that the FCA or, or Treasury would, would want from this. 
Uh, and so we've certainly kind of given some feedback in relation to that. I think what we, what is really kind of important for all of this is that we kind of recognize that there is, there's definitely an education piece that must continue. So, um, I, I think it's definitely a watch the space. We've given our, our feedback and, uh, we certainly think that, um, the crypto should be available to everybody, but we also recognize that there is certainly an important aspect of education in all of this. Okay, just to push you on that a little bit. So we've had some different views from the retail trading platforms in the UK for all stocks, not just crypto. So Hargreaves lands down one example. They've actually called for the FCA to go further with this ban and stop people using credit cards to buy high risk investments, as well as policing maximum allocations for retail traders to make into assets like crypto. Are there some retail traders who do need to be protected, do you think, from high risk assets? Well, I think in the instance of anybody um, seeking uh, seeking credit to, um, to 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 make some kind of investment like that, I, I definitely think that that is definitely not something we would encourage. Uh, and you know, to be very clear, we don't allow that on our platform. It's you know, it's debit card uh, or bank transfer only. Um, so we wouldn't allow a credit card payment into our platform. I don't. You know, I, I definitely would. To an extent, I would agree that you know credit card. I don't think is an appropriate way um, to upload uh, into a, into a crypto platform. I think it's vitally important that when you're getting involved, uh, yeah, from an investment perspective in crypto, uh, that you have a clear understanding of what your disposable income is. Um, yeah, depending on the way you're looking to use crypto, if you're looking to use it as an investment. Uh, perspective, then I think it, you know, it's, it's a good way of diversifying your portfolio. Of course, like everything when it comes to trading and the, and the like, um, you can make, you know, quick money out of changes in, in prices in crypto in the same way you can do with any kind of FX, uh, or other kind of markets. Uh, there, there are always opportunities there. Uh, you know, uh, unless you're particularly au fait with that, uh, and you're particularly, um, uh, experienced in kind of, in understanding how those kind of markets work. You know, our view on crypto is certainly more on the hold side, uh, on the long term, um, on the long term uh, uh, investment side of things. So, look, uh, into I, I won't get into that particular institution's kind of comments because I, I don't necessarily agree with with everything they've said. But in terms of um, the importance, as I referred to before, about education and understanding, you know, when and how to use crypto and uh, and understanding the risks and understanding your own personal circumstances, that's vitally important. So for certain, uh, I, I wouldn't encourage people to utilize uh, credit cards for like, I think, um, uh, I don't think that is, a, that is a particularly sensible thing to do. Okay, I think it's worth mentioning just at this stage that these rules are still just draft proposals from the FCA. So do you think that we could see some pushback against the FCA approach from the government or more from industry? And do you think that they might change the rules as a result or take a slightly more lenient approach to retail traders uh so yeah you're, you're absolutely right these are dra- this is drafts uh and it's a in relation to a consultation that they that they've done and they've sought uh responses from um, from industry so you know ourselves I, i've spoken to many of my um, my peers across the uk um, landscape uh that are all submitting their own uh versions of, of responses that i know um, uh, other kind of industry bodies are also kind of submitting their responses as well. Uh, I think quite clearly there are going to be a lot of, um, you know, uh, a lot of things for the FCA to, to read through. 
uh, you know, and clearly there will be dissension uh, from what their what their proposals are and explanation of why uh, why they either won't work or they need to be amended or kind of considerations need to be further considerations need to be applied. So, do I think it's going to look exactly like it does now? No, I, I, I don't because my history tells me that inevitably there is a bit of nuance applied and uh, and there's always unintended consequences and and this is why. We have consultation periods to, to enable that to happen. Um, just the broadness of how much it will change, that's, that's a little unclear. It's, you know, it's very clear that, you know, and I've said this, I'm sure I've said this to you before and to others, you know, 2022 is absolutely the year of, uh, of regulation in crypto. And it's, you know, uh, and it, it, nothing about this year is making me doubt that, but, uh, you're absolutely right. It is draft. So we'll wait and see. And, uh, um, and we'll wait to kind of review what the final uh, the, the final guidance kind of looks like, and uh, yeah, and it's whether whether there's anything else that we need to kind of raise up the the, the poll as well. So, Charlie, what caught your attention this week in the fintech sphere? So we've had a very interesting acquisition story uh, in the world of UK fintech this week. So, Credit Kudos, which is a a UK open banking startup, has been acquired by. Apple, which of course requires no introduction. Um, so credit kudos essentially allows businesses to assess loan applicants via their kind of banking and payment transaction data. So enables people who might traditionally be cut out of borrowing to apply for loans um, mm. and uses open banking technology to do that, uh, which is a, a sort of means of sharing data between banks and financial institutions. So while neither Credit Kudos or Apple have confirmed the deal yet, it was um, first reported by a crypto news outlet called The Block and links on Credit Kudos's website now divert through to Apple's terms and condition pages <laughs> so we can infer from that. What we will. An Apple spokesperson said to us yesterday that Apple buys smaller technology companies from time to time. We generally do not discuss our purpose or plans. Mm, or very secretive. Um, and do we know why Apple has bought it then? So that is, of course, the question on everyone's sort of lips in fintech and tech circles. What a, what a big US tech giant like Apple wants from what is an exciting UK firm, but still a very small one in comparison. But I think interesting when you look at the context of this, it does follow a much wider push by Apple into payments and financial services. Um, so just last month, they announced the tap to pay feature for phones, which is going to be introduced later this year. So that will allow iPhone users to pay merchants directly via technology on their phone to merchants using technology used by the firm Block, which is Jack Dorsey, the Twitter founder's big payments firm. They've also launched the Apple Cash Card for peer-to-peer -peer payments and working on reportedly a, a feature that will allow a buy now, pay later style service for Apple Pay. So in terms of what they want from this acquisition specifically, we spoke with a, a fintech consultancy yesterday, 11FS, and they kind of said this could very much be a push from Apple into that buy now, pay later space. So the the founder of 11FS, Simon Taylor, said he's been convinced for a while that open banking is the key to buy now, pay later, as it would essentially allow firms to do a full credit and affordability check on their customers immediately. And when you look at buy now, pay later firms, the big kind of contentious issue at the heart of that industry is that customers who aren't maybe, you know, ready to take on that level of credit are mm. able to access it. So this would kind of allow a quite forensic examination of any customers as they come in to be using buy now, pay later via an immediate assessment of their transaction history. So he said that Credit Kudos would immediately provide Apple with that capability. 
Mm. And what can we expect now then? So Simon's other warning when we spoke to him was that Apple has a habit of these sort of acquisitions and then going silent for two years. And that is what we can also expect here. Mm. But I think the the timing is interesting in a broader sense as well, where MasterCard and Visa have both been quite acquisitive in the um in the open banking space. And uh, just last month, Visa acquired a Swedish open banking fintech called Tink for 1.8 billion euros. And both have sort of been pushing to consolidate in the kind of broader open banking space. So it's somewhere that I think big firms like Visa, MasterCard, and now Apple, as it pushes into payments, are really aware of it, sort of the potential of open banking and how it might explode. So that's all we have for this week's episode. Thanks to Blair for coming on. Thanks to Lily and Charlie. And thanks for listening. See you next week.